Amen. Have a seat. Uh, I got to preach Friday night to the winter conference, high energy. You know, I was like overdoing it to the max and uh, I didn't blow my voice out, but like in my introduction right about here, I don't know who it was, I hear this. Mm. You know what I did? I pointed it out. I said, come on, man, that hurts. That hurts. Friday night, you know what? I get it. They, they've been at school all week. They, they're coming in here. We shove sugar down their throat and say, hop up and down, you know? And, and so maybe some of you are like that this morning. You're like, oh, man, this better be good. This better be good. You ever do that? Okay. Last week's sermon title was what? You remember? Joshua is dead. This week, brilliant. Joshua is dead. Still. Still dead. That's goofy. You're goofy. You've been at Winter Conference too long. You're in a haze. I am. It's because there's a second introduction in the book of Judges. It's like we get all that terrible stuff, and then it's like, I don't think you got it. So we're going hit to hit you with it again, is what the writer says, I think, if we, if we talk to him. It's interesting. There's, it lays out, the second introduction lays out the rest of the book of Judges, and really the rest of our series, Broken, the Broken. Joshua's dead still. Just when you think things couldn't get worse, they do. And they get really bad. And honestly, it's a cycle which we'll see today. It's called, there's all kinds of names for it when you read. Sin cycle, all sorts of stuff. None of them are good. And, and it's just like the bad cycle, the, the awful, it's, it's bad. It's cycle. You know what a cycle is, right? Like, yeah, I got one at home. It's got two wheels, chain that falls off. No, but that's similar. It just keeps going and going and going and going. And Judges comes at the end of a pretty good cycle of leaders. They'd had some great leaders in Israel, some first ballot Hall of Famers, my friends. They, they had Abraham. He was good, right? We liked him. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Then they had uh, Moses. Who thinks Moses kind of knew what he was doing, right? He was pretty good. He had a burning bush. He was like, just do what the bush says. Everything will go fine. Did that. That was good. And then after Moses, they had a guy named Joshua, which is who these guys would have known. It's who these uh, uh, Israelites would have known. And, and then you, you've got, after Joshua, because he dies, you've got 400 years of bad leadership. 400 years. That's a long time to have bad leaders. You got Joshua was the last good leader, first ballot Hall of Famer, unanimous decision. And then it's like, oh, but he died. What do we do now? And so in Joshua's two, excuse me, Judges 2, 6 through 9, we're going to hit Joshua in just a second. See, I jumped ahead. Sorry. Uh, Judges 2, 6 through 9, it says this. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. Because remember, they had been promised the land. What land were they promised? Thank you. Is that all we're going to get? That was easy. All A's. Joshua, right, did a great job of leading the people of Israel. They saw, they experienced great and mighty things of God. That is no dispute. They saw some incredible things that God did. And it says in verse 7, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. That's good, right? It is. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, 
the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. Who thinks that's old? That's old. Anybody over 100 in here? I'd just love to meet you if you are. Okay. And they buried him with the, within the boundaries of his inheritance. I can't say that word. Timnath, Hera, I don't know. In the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh, which few trivia buffs. Joshua was the only one of the OG leaders that came out was positioned by Moses and was died in the promised land and was buried in the promised land. There you go. In Jeopardy, Old Testament trivia, what is Joshua? You got it. But now the trouble begins. You've got Joshua, and where is he? Dead. Good. Still dead. <laughs> he is, man. Here's my big takeaway. It's not great news, but I think we can turn it into it. At all times... We are one generation away from total extinction. Some of you aren't Jesus followers in the room, and I'm glad you're here. I hope by the end of this message, you will see that God is worth it. You will count the cost and realize you can't afford it, but you can't afford not to. But there's a lot of Jesus followers in this room, and that is 100% true for this church. If we just got real small, real micro thinking, and just said, just Keystone. Keystone is one generation away from total extinction. If we don't do things like winter conference, have great youth groups, really disciple our young people, if we don't take that seriously, then all the wonderful things that all our 110-year-olds have experienced won't matter. They will be dead. Joshua is dead. We're one generation away from total extinction. This generation of Israel, and I think you could make a lot of parallels. No, we are not Israel. We are not living in the book of Judges. But there are some parallels because I would say every generation after Israel, you'll see it in the Bible, and every generation, even the ones we've experienced, is always in this flux or critical time of being completely forgotten and completely forgetting, rather, about God. Because I don't know about you, maybe you've read ahead, but, but if you look back a book to Joshua, got a whole book named after him, Joshua 24, 19 says this, he gave them what to do. Great leaders do that. They don't just go, well, figure it out. No, he didn't say just figure it out. He said, I have figured it out, and here's what you do to keep this thing going, to, to keep uh, it from being extinct. Here is what you do. It says, to the, Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, which I'm like, okay. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins, which sounds like terrible news. If, you ever get an if? That will be true. If, if you forsake the Lord and serve what? Foreign gods. Another way to say that is idols. Another way to say that is other gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. Those in attendance that day in verse 24, we were, have recorded what they said. It said, the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will what? Serve. And his voice we will obey. Hey, Keystone says that, don't we? We're going to serve God. We're going to obey God. We even pray that way, don't we? I'm going to hear from God. I'm going to believe God. And I'm going to what? Obey God. Seems pretty clear to me. 
What is the takeaway then that applies to us right now? It's still true what Joshua said. Don't serve other gods. Okay? If you do, it will be bad. That's why they don't let me write scripture, you know? It's bad if you don't. If you do that, it's not good. And many times, even right now, all of you are going, yes, I'll totally not do that. I want to serve God only. Okay, back to Judges 2. Verse 10. Tragic. Don't serve other gods. It'll be bad if you do. Joshua is what? Dead. Still. And within like minutes, this is what we get. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. Do you know what that means? Also dead. A lot of death. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. How many generations was it? One. Not five. Not a hundred years. One. Don't, don't get tripped up on what they knew and didn't know. Sometimes you do that. You can say, what do you mean they didn't know? No, 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 no. That isn't really what it means. I mean, it means that, but it doesn't mean that, you know? It means that, yes, they knew about Joshua. They, they obviously, it was part of their history. The point is, they didn't care about those things. It wasn't precious to them. Those things don't matter to them. You say, well, how might we do that? You said there's some parallels. There are. We're not Israel. We're not on a conquest in the promised land. But, but how might that be true? For, how do I do that? Okay, uh, I know about revivals that happen. There's a movie out right now, I think. It's like the Jesus movement, right? Is that the name of the movie? Okay, what is it? The Jesus Revolution. Is that right? And I think that's what it's about. I'm going to go see it eventually. Uh, and, and I'm like, oh, that's great. But unless we talk about it, we won't know about it. I know about the history of the church more than I want to know, honestly. I'm taking tests on it, you know? And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Javon Stubb, that's the confessor of Martin Luther, if you're ever wondering. So... I can see, maybe some of you, you say, yeah, I see how the gospel changed my parents' life. I see it, it just doesn't matter to me. It's not precious to me, but I know about it. And again, I want to remind you, how long did it take to go from we will serve God and obey God to we don't care? One generation, not five, not 17 different kings, not a move, one Simply put, my parents, Bill and Betty, from them to Mark and Ann. One generation. Anybody thinking about that? My mom and dad, what, just think, my mom and dad, what if they saw great acts of God? My dad was radically saved, all those things. And then it gets to me, and I'm just like, I mean, it didn't really mean anything to me. That was great stories. They didn't really mean anything to me. I, I had this, I was writing this sermon several weeks ago, you'll see in a minute. And I was like, I wonder if my, I know of some things my dad did that are pretty incredible. And um, a few of them I can share. And uh, so I, I texted my dad one morning. The dad, uh, my, my dad loved drag racing cars. He just loved it. Me, not so much into it. He loved to drag race cars. And so I texted him one morning. I, I took a picture of the text interchange. And I noticed this is at 8.15 and all of this occurred within 30 seconds. Okay, I said, dad. I didn't say dad because, you know, I'm not 73 years old. I know who I'm texting. And I didn't sign my name either. What years 
<laughs> it's like there's only two people in the conversation. Okay, sorry. What years and what cars did you drag race? I'm working on a sermon illustration. I kid you not, within five seconds. It's as if he has this information saved on his phone just in case someone asks, all right? He wrote back immediately, 66 Chevelle, black 327 motor, 350 horsepower, 411 rear gear, whatever that means. It ran around 14 second, quarter mile. It was fast, and my truck that he owns right now is almost as fast. Imprint, I love drag racing. Bought it new, I smoked, had my hair with ducktails, flat top, wore t-shirts, wore blue jeans, no socks, all caps cool. <laughs> now, he would be pretty destroyed, and he's probably watching if I included the I smoked part. He no longer smokes. He gave that up even before I was born. But within seconds, this precious moments to him from his childhood were like, boom, this is it. Now, you see what I wrote underneath there, right? You don't by chance have any pictures of that. Within seconds, I get these pictures. 1967, that's my dad. All right, so yay, Bill. Hi, Bill, he's probably watching. And then because he loved his brother, John, he gave me a picture of John, which don't you think my, brother, my uncle Johnny just looks like a guy that stays in 1950s and 60s? Like every movie you've ever seen about that time period has that guy in it. Good looks, that's him. My dad's like, I don't know, that's 1960. He's 23 years old. Hey, Dad, I'll talk to you later about this, I'm sure. All right, get those off, get those off. Now, here's the reality. Who thinks, let's, let's do a little vote. Who thinks that that's super precious to him? Super precious. I know, I knew all that information, by the way. I've seen those pictures. Who thinks I'm into drag racing? I'm not. <laughs> Unless it's goofing because I see somebody on the road and I'm like, let's race for fake slips or something stupid. <laughs> I think I did that with Mike yesterday. <laughs> Here's my point. It's not that I don't know about that. It's just not precious to me. How would you take something as super interesting as drag racing? How would he have brought me up in that? Well, one, he would have continued to do it. Second, he would have taken me to the track. Third, he would have showed me how to fix a car. I can't even change oil. For whatever reason, he just thought, yeah, by the time you're an adult, they'll be doing this places. I don't know, probably, probably I shouldn't figure it out. Isn't it interesting? Revival rarely passes to the next generation. Rarely. You gotta like have a whole new revival. It's rarely like we experienced this incredible thing and now we're gonna pass it on. It just doesn't happen. The, the kids or the generation behind, it's not that they don't know about it. It just hasn't been made precious to them. So you can never live off what the generation ahead of you has done. You can, you can eat the fruit. I, I tell Pastor John all the time, I was like, you know what? You planted this church 22 years ago this year. 22 years ago, you sowed a lot of seeds. And guess what I'm getting to do now? Guess what our church is getting to do now? We get to eat the fruit. That's incredible. But if you don't keep sowing seeds, I think you get one crop. At all times, we're one generation away from total extinction. And I'll say this, that we are doing everything in our power to keep that from happening here. We take it very seriously. We, we seek to show our students, our elementary, even our preschool, we seek to show them that God is real and he is personal. And as great as stories as these kids' parents have, you can have those too. 
I was just talking to Allie this week about how they pray upstairs in the elementary and how they don't just, you know, I'm not making fun of prayer, but you know how sometimes you can be like, oh, God, uh, help a great Aunt Bessie. Her toe is hurting. You're like, and that's fine. We want Aunt Bessie's toe to be fine. We really do. We're not anti-toe unless you're the judges kings from the last week. Then you are. But, you know, we're not that. You know, like, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> what they're doing is they're praying for real things that are really going on. It's real. You can hear God. Why do you, why we do that? Because I know what can happen if we don't. This, this thing could be over. In the verses that follow in chapter 2, he gives a summary of what is often called, I mentioned it a moment ago, the sin cycle. Cycles of behavior that go up, they go down, all sorts of things. In verse 11, it says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, which is Canaanite language for all the lords. They had tons of gods, right? All of them. Some were actually called Baal, but they also, that's like a catch-all. They did exactly what they said they would never do. Don't serve other gods. If you do, it'll turn out bad. But then they said, that was for the old folks. This is a new generation. We're going to do it a little bit differently, right? Let's, let's go ahead and serve them just for a little bit, see how it works out, you know? Good. Verse 12, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Don't serve other gods. Remember that? If you do, it'll turn out bad. But then they said, that was for the last generation. We're a new generation. So the anger of the Lord, verse 14, was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so they could no longer withstand their enemies. And whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. And then the Lord raised up judges, which is what this whole book is about, even though we haven't met one yet, and you won't this week either, who saved them out of the hand of those who had plundered them. little quick note on God's anger here because that's a super fun topic for people to bring up all of the time you serve an angry god yeah that never ends the debate if you're wondering he's angry yeah yeah he is he's righteously angry you know why he's angry because of sin he's angry at sin god's a jealous god you serve a jealous god angry and jealous yeah i do Listen, sometimes people don't understand God's jealousy because they don't understand who God is. God is a jealous God. It's because when, when we think of jealousy, we think, like, that's super bad. You shouldn't be jealous. You're right. We shouldn't be. But I'm not God. God is jealous. It'd be like, you know, you, you get mad if, if somebody has something you want. I'm jealous of that. That's not the type of jealousy God has. You know, they have something you don't have or, or they're, they're being obsessive. They're not giving you the attention that you need. But, but this, this type of jealousy that, that we speak of when we speak of God is very serious. It's, it's, he is righteously jealous because he loves us so much. I have a son, you know that. Uh, I'm righteously jealous for him. I, I would be righteously jealous. I want him to follow the right things. And if he doesn't, I would be jealous of that. 
I don't want you following the wrong things. I want you to be influenced by the right people, and a lot of them are in this room, praise God. I don't want this to be a single generation, like the White House uh, following God ends with me and Jennifer. No, it won't. So I want to be jealous of what he follows. God is jealous to be our only God. Put no other gods before him. He is it. He is number one. He's the only object of our worship. So it says, yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them, which is some pretty strong language. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, you see this cycle already starting? They turned back and were made corrupt more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and they not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. And we talked about that last week. In order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Do you see what's going on here? This cycle goes like this. Phase one, people rebel. We do what we want. Phase two, God doesn't like it. He told you he wouldn't like it. You did it anyway. Phase three, oppression comes. In this book and all through most of church history, it's by the enemy. They become enslaved, most, quite literally enslaved in bondage by the enemy, other nations. Phase four, repentance. It often comes in this form. God, please help us. It's amazing what you remember when you're in bondage. Phase five, restoration. God sends a champion. We're calling them what? The book of what? Judges, that's right. Phase six, they are delivered. Yay. Phase seven, they forget. And the cycle starts again. Now, I don't know about you, but have any of you ever lived at least one revolution of that cycle? At least one. Maybe ten. Maybe constantly. You can see why we're in danger of extinction if that's the cycle we're living our life by. So how do we break this cycle? Anybody at all curious about that? How do we break the cycle? Well, there's lots of ways, but I got a few. Who, let's answer this question. Who do you trust to save you? Who do you trust to save you? You ever think about that? You ever think, who am I putting my safety in the hands of? You ever sat at a pool and looked at the lifeguard and thought, they ain't no way. <laughs> no way that if I am in distress, that person will save me. I'm not even sure they're awake. I remember, sorry, Billy, two-in-one sermon. I'll pay you later. I remember Billy was in the pool once at this place that didn't have the greatest lifeguards, and the whole time I'm like, well, I can't read my book. I can't go to sleep. 
Because there's no way that person could save him if he was in distress. So I just stared at him the whole time. I'm like, you put your faith in me here, okay? I had a summer job 20 years ago as a lifeguard, but I think I know how to swim. I wasn't too sure about that person. Who do you trust? For Israel, we see that God sends judges. God sends judges, right? The book's called Judges. Heroes, champions, deliverers, rescuers, whatever, saviors. They would begin to trust that person as a functional savior to deliver them. But it was part of the cycle. Problem is, what you'll see in incredible detail next week when we meet our first judges, is that these judges are broken just like us. They can't fully deliver you. So who is your savior? Who are you trusting to save you? Who is breaking your cycle? When you repent, who do you talk to, right? Who are you counting on to deliver you from your problems? Is it the other gods? You say, well, I don't serve other gods, don't you? You may not call them Baal or Molech. You may not call it that, but you call it something. Your ability your money, your retirement, whatever it is, it's personal. Maybe you do. Maybe you trust yourself. Maybe your own deliverer. Maybe how hard you work. Maybe how physically fit you are. That's, that's what you're trusting in. But there's a major problem with that is because the one that has to come and to deliver you, if it's just like you, it will not deliver you. It can't. They're, we are inconsistent, aren't we? We are disobedient. We are at times unbelieving. We'll see these judges, sometimes they're cowardly. And they only become courageous because the God of the universe makes them courageous. But then they go right back to it. Anybody know which one I'm talking about? Gideon. We, we love to read the first two chapters of Gideon's story. We never read the last chapter. He finishes terrible. The problem with this is every savior outside of Jesus is broken. The true champion is Jesus. Jesus is our champion. And I keep mentioning here that Joshua warned them, Joshua warned them, don't serve other gods, bad things will happen. But why is that such a big deal? Because most of us, again, we probably don't think we do that. We probably think we're the one person in here that this doesn't apply to. And there's... 300 one persons in here that probably think they don't apply to them. Here's why. You're always choosing in your life. You're always choosing between which God you will serve. That's why there's so much about this in God's word. And here's your choices. And we toggle back and forth. We choose between a God that enslaves us or a God that saves us. And we're always toggling back and forth. And maybe we get stuck in our cycle because we're like, hey, God, this, this God puts me in chains and this God loves me like a father and breaks the chains. A God that enslaves me or a God that saves me. Well, I just won't choose any, you know, I just won't be religious. That's the thing, you will, you will. We're always choosing something to worship. Our heart wants to worship something. And so if it's not this, it'll be something else. You'll always find something to cherish something to depend on, something to worship. So how do I break the cycle? Well, who do you trust to save you? God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Okay, good. Let's go to the next one. Do you trust God with everything? Everything. Remember last week when we talked about buying the house where I'm gonna keep a room to myself? Remember that? 
Nobody remembers it? Thank you. It was great. It was a great illustration, and you guys loved it when I told it. I can't believe you don't remember it. But, like, what does it really look like when I say, have you given God everything? Mark, hey, well, excuse me, Pastor Mark, have you given God everything? You guys don't sound like that, but sometimes you do in my head. Like, like, have you given everything, even you yourself? Can I just tell you, sometimes I find a little spot that I haven't given him. It says in verse, chapter 2, verse 1, we're right back to the beginning. Of the, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bacham, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. He starts with some heavy stuff, right? He said, I will never do that. Remember I told you that this book, it toes the line, makes it really, uh, the God that never leaves you, the God that punishes you. It's like, what? Hey, hey, Jesus followers in the room, can we get some honesty here? If you've been following Jesus for a while, maybe a week, maybe 20 years, my 110-year-olds, 90 years. I met a guy once, uh, his name was James. He's most likely passed away now. I met him about 15 years ago. I was talking to him. He was in his 90s, and he got saved in his teenage years. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you have been walking with the Lord for 80 years. That's like Moses' numbers. And he would even say this if he were here. I guarantee he would. Do you ever forget what Jesus did for you? Sure you do. Because there's all these other gods wanting your attention. Do you ever forget that God made a promise to you? Do you ever forget that when you became a believer, you said, he said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Do you ever forget that? Of course we do. Do you live like that? Because we are one generation away from enough of us forgetting that this thing's over. Remember, and all the generation also were gathered, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done in Israel. Okay, let's do a little think here. You want to do a little rethink on your life real quick? You just want to fix all your problems real fast? Hmm. Sometimes. Really think about this. Why would you trust God with your eternal salvation but not trust him with your day-to-day life? You ever think about that? Why would I say, I trust God with my eternity that lasts infinitely, but I don't know that he'll be able to make a really good call on what I should do tomorrow? You ever think about that? You say, I believe, I believe that he paid for my sin. I believe that he has my eternity in his hand. I believe that I can go to him with anything, but I don't think I can trust him enough with my finances. Yeah, because we have functional saviors. A, A God you can trust with your eternity is a God you can trust with your budget. A God you can trust with that will pay for your sin through his son Jesus, which he did, is a, is a God you can trust with your emotional needs. A, a God that overcame death, that raised Jesus from the tomb, you can trust with your tomorrow. And we begin looking to other things. We say, yes, God, I, I love that I got saved, became a believer. That's my golden ticket for eternity, but I got it covered until then. You can trust the Lord with everything, everything. You believe me? I hope you do. Do your kids see it? Because we're one generation away. One generation away. 
It can happen pretty quick. I don't think I get to decide when that generation starts. I want Keystone to live out like that. That's our two takeaways. How do I break the cycle in my life? We're going to study judges, yes, but I want us to, to really build these bridges and see like, oh my goodness, this is real. This isn't just historical fiction. How do I break the cycle? Who do you trust to save you? God, God only. Really? Do you trust him with everything then? Well, I don't know. So why don't we pray right now? We're going to ask him to reveal any areas in our life where maybe we don't fully, fully, 100% give over. Let's take our trust issues to God. He can handle it because he's the one. You guys know this. You've done this before. This, this is how you start a revival, by the way. You start with repentance. You don't start with Christian bangers. You start with repentance that comes from hearing the word. So, Father God, Lord, reveal even me right now. If you got something for me up here in front of these people, you just tell me. I'm not embarrassed by that. Reveal to me where I might be putting my trust into something other than you. You guys are really praying that. And you say, Lord, remind me of your promise. Remind me of your promise. Ask him, God, am I believing your promise? God, if if you were to do a behavior audit on me, would it match what your promise is? If you hear anything at all, write it down. Write it down. And then repent. We may be one generation away, but we're also one repentance away from total revival. You realize at any point in that cycle, when they repented, if they had true behavior change, we would never have had the book of Judges. So you say, God, I'm sorry. I submit my heart to you. I'm sorry for worshiping something, someone other than you. And as you're continuing to pray there, think it's good to renounce that belief because it's a lie. It's always in the form of a lie. Say, God, I will no longer partner with that belief. Purify my thinking. And then spend a few moments here to receive God's love for something new in your life. Some of you need to discover Jesus. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're here, you got invited, you're here. And you recognize in your life, you are trying to do something that you cannot do. As you're all praying here, many of you, you do. You recognize that I've been trying to do this whole thing on my own. Well, I have great news for you. The Bible says that we confess our sins to God. He is faithful and just to forgive. Forgives us our sins. Forgives us where we we did something other than worship him. We rebelled. The the New Testament is mostly about how Jesus came for that purpose. God sent his son Jesus who was without sin. He was the true champion. True judge. Not broken. But was broken for me. 
It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. See, God is not looking to just tweak a few things in your life. He wants to totally recreate you in his image. You're already created in his image. He wants to fix that. You know you need it, and so I would just ask you right now, if that's you today, I'm going to ask that, I don't know, maybe you just raise your hand and let me know. If you're at home, you can send an email or whatever, but I'm going to show you how you pray to Jesus and how you become whole. You say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you came in humility for me. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave. Today, I receive your forgiveness. This day forward, I will follow you. While we're still praying, I'm going to offer another opportunity for you. You know, this week we had winter conference, and we asked two basic questions at the end of the night. We have four or five, but two, two that we have immediate action. You can, you can look at me if you want. If you're still praying, I'm not going to be bothered. Did you give your life to Jesus tonight? Do you want to be baptized? One of the reasons I love baptism is because it shows where we stand. It's a public thing. Listen. People don't know what you're into. Then are you into it? We say, we want to do that. We want to tell that story. That story is my story. You say, you want a gospel story in your life? That's, That's it. It's a picture of what Jesus did for you, what we just talked about. It's Jesus died and boop. Because of that, you can be risen. Jesus died for you. And when you become a believer, you say, I want to be baptized. I want that picture to be the picture that people see of me. And so I've done this before. I made some cards. I like little motion things. While we sing this last song, we're going to have a baptism party next week. We already have three or four people that are signed up after our second service. doesn't have to be then, but I like to do them together. They're fun. If you'd like to be baptized next week, March 5th, Sixth, whatever it is, fifth. You come up during this last song, you grab this card, you put your name on there in a way that we can read it, a phone number that we can tell what it is, an email that we can actually email, and we'll get a hold of you within 24 hours, talk to you, and get you scheduled for next week. But let's put a little motion in it. You can drop them. I'll put them over here and over on the other side. Um, Just drop them in the bucket on your way out. You don't have to come up here and fill it out. I did that last time. That was fine, but it got a little confusing for me. If you want to be baptized, make it public. It's a big deal here. It's a big deal here, and we want to celebrate that. So you come up, you say, yeah, I want to be baptized. Maybe you've been a, a Christian for one week. Got the lead somebody of the Lord on the phone this week. We're going to baptize her next week. If that's you, you come on up. If you missed how to give your life to Jesus a second ago because there was a movement or something, I'll be back in this back room, at least for this one song. Then I got to come back up. You come back and find me, I'll show you. Let's praise Jesus. Let's not stop praying just because I stopped talking. If you want to be baptized, you let me know. You grab a card.